And it is my pleasure at this time to bring on my guest today on Wake Up to the Vibe. He holds a PhD, and not the same PhD that I have. My PhD is poor, hungry, and determined. (laughs) He's a TEDx speaker, an alumni distinguished professor at the Center for Applied Behavior Systems. Over 50 years, 50 folks, 50 years as faculty at Virginia Tech. And he is the author of over 50 books. So I'm, I'm, I'm seeing 50 years, faculty, Virginia Tech, and 50 books. That 50 is a magic number. Please welcome Scott Geller to Wake Up to the Vibe. Good morning, Scott. How are you this morning? Good morning, Joe. I'm great. And by the way, 50 books means nothing unless people read them. <laughs> it was all about dissemination. So right here, we have a chance to share pe- with people what's available. And thank you for doing that, you know? Uh, oh, please. Thank you. I, I watched your TEDx talk, and I was inspired. I love your energy, and that's why I had to send you an email. And just like books, morning shows are only good morning shows when you have people watching them, right? That's right. <laughs> we, call our, we call our viewers the Vibe Tribe, and, and we've got some of the, the best viewers on the Internet, just a, a good, loyal, dedicated uh, tribe, and, and very proud of them. And, and this is why we invite people like yourself to be on the show. We're trying to deliver very, very good, insightful information. So I have to ask you, let's start here. 50 years faculty of Virginia Tech, same position, or did you uh, move around and, and teach different courses? Oh, great question. You know, I actually started out in cognitive psychology. And in fact, my first seven years was totally cognitive. I got my PhD in cognitive psychology. But then I started to say to myself, I'm not making a difference. Now, I'm not slamming cognitive psychology. But for me, I wanted to make a difference. And for me, it was changing behavior, improving behavior. So I got into applied behavioral science, you know, some, some of your listeners will have heard the word, the name B.F. Skinner, and he was, he, he was, he still is my hero. But then I learned from W. Edwards Deming about humanism. And now I'm talking about bringing those two together. But I'm telling you, it's, it's evolved. I mean, I started in cognitive, then I went to behavioral, and now I'm bringing humanism and behavioral together, but I've always had the same mission to make a difference. Well, I know. Yeah, to improve human welfare. I I love it. And I love the term that that I read on your your webpage, humanistic behaviorism. Yeah. That's a big word, two big words, humanistic behaviorism. Yes. And you know, the behaviorists, they don't like the word humanism. And the humanists, they don't like the word behaviorism. <laughs> I mean, in fact, when I speak to, I give keynote, keynote addresses, for example, at the Applied Behavior Analysis Association. And when I talk about humanistic behaviorism, the old timers, they cross their hands. and I say, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a turnoff. It's a turnoff. And I understand that. I understand that. But again, B.F. Skinner, B.F. Skinner in 1968 said, humanism, I'm sorry, behaviorism is the way to make humanism more effective. 
I am saying that humanism is the way to make behaviorism more effective. But it's it. humanistic behaviorism. Yeah, I mean, the two go together so nicely. Yeah. <laughs> because the humanistic behaviorism. So if you had to define behaviorism, let's just take that piece right there. How would you define that word? I would say we apply contingencies, arrangements, so as to increase desirable behavior. And we focus on positive consequences. The, the behaviorists, they rarely use punitive consequences to influence behavior, yet that's what our society seems to do more often because it's easy. Pass a law and enforce it. But the behaviorist wants to get people to want to do something. We want success seekers. We want people to do it because they're gaining something rather than doing it to avoid something aversive. Right. You just said something, though, that almost when I play it back in my head, it almost sounds like an oxymoron. Positive consequences. Uh -huh. <laughs> that almost those two words together, well, like a consequence. Always, to me, that something we think of a consequence as negative. Right Shame on us, man. A consequence <laughs> can be positive. A consequence is a pleasant consequence, as well as it could be an aversive, negative consequence. So that by your statement, we're simply saying that, yeah, we're more used to using negative consequences to influence right. behavior rather than positive consequences. So what is so a circumstance where you would have a positive consequence? It's almost a reward. It is a reward. And by the way, how about just gratitude? Oh, the power of gratitude. Oh, I love gratitude. Thanking somebody for something they've done, that's a positive consequence. That's showing yeah. appreciation. And here's an important point. When people believe that what they're doing is worthwhile, that what they're doing is appreciated, they're more likely to be self-motivated. Motivated from within. By the way, that's humanism. The, the behaviors, they want to motivate people with extrinsic, outside consequences. Nothing wrong with that. But the humanist focuses on getting people to motivate themselves from the inside out. We need both. Well, so, so the positive consequences is a great segue to one of your 50 books. There's a couple here that I want to touch on. And you have a book that's on, on how to care for your child. It's a parenting book. Correct. Yes. What is the exact title? And I apologize because because we we're going to talk we we're going to talk about the positive policing, actively caring for your child. How to be a more effective parent, and, and this is not common sense. Although it'll feel like common sense because you can say I've been there, but it's based on science and it's based on humanistic behaviorism. I love that. So is that book focused on um, from a toddler? to eight, nine years old. Like there's the, the development years, right? Well, all the way, man. It says caregiver. A caregiver you know, we, we care for our grandparents, you know, and grandparents, we care for each other lifelong. So yes, yes, there is a section. Of course it is for, it's for toddlers, but all the way through teenagers, through adult. So wow. It's, it's in fact, in this book, we have seven life lessons. If we applied these seven life lessons that are in this book, the world would be a better place. Whether you're a parent, 
caregiver, teacher, whether or a police officer. Yes. Seven basic life lessons. Can I? Can we go down the road on those seven life lessons, or give us a couple teasers? Sure. The first lesson is give more positive consequences. I was just going to say, <laughs> I like the positive consequence. Give right? more positive consequences. In fact, I'll open up the table of contents and and that's the first lesson. The first lesson, and there's a lot to say about that, is employ more positive consequences. And lesson number two, benefit from observational learning. Benefit. We don't realize how much we learn and how much we teach others by our own behavior, observational learning. Number so when, three, one number three right away. Yeah, but wait, hold on, hold on. Go I ahead. want to talk about this observational learning. Yes. You could actually learn more about your child from just watching and studying and silence and understanding and, and trying to look at them as an individual. Sometimes we... You, let me let me fast forward here okay teenager let me go right to the teenager okay it's so easy to get upset at a teenager they don't call you back they don't return your message they don't return your text message uh you know they don't come home when you tell them and the list goes on and on right and and i love teenagers but sometimes if we just sat back and watched their their individuality and how they approach things and try to understand them. I think we would parent them differently. Joe, that is so brilliant. <laughs> no, I'm serious, man. I'm serious. Cause you're talking about the one humanistic word we have to get in touch with empathy. Empathy, empathy means where are they coming from? If I watch them and tried to understand, as you put it, understand where they're coming from, I will be able to communicate with them more effectively. So it is empathy. There's a humanistic word. So with empathy and the tools of behavioral science, we can improve behavior most effectively. Yes. Well, I'm going to tell you where that came from. And thank you for saying it was brilliant. Not too many people tell me that. <laughs> but somebody had said to me, and it, and it was a therapist, I will tell you this. There was, there was a, um, a situation in my life and I was talking to this counselor, right? And I was venting because that's what you do. And she said the, the most profound thing to me, and it changed my life forever as a parent. And she said, Joe, Dominic is not you. And like, and like stop me in my tracks. And she says, and you are not your father. So I had to put this like puzzle together. Like I was acting like my father and I was upset at him and parenting him like he was the youngest of seven when in fact he, he's the only child and I'm the youngest of seven. So my approach was what I knew about me and what I knew about my father and how my father would handle this situation instead of looking at him as an individual and looking at his individuality and understanding where he was coming. It changed my life forever. And, and, and thankfully, because I have an amazing relationship with my son, I love him. He loves me. We get along great. 
but that was a game changer. And he was, he was like 12 years old when I got that advice. Wow. Joe, here's the academic word, phenomenology, a humanistic <laughs> word. A humanist, you know, That's huge. Carl Rogers, who started human, said, recognize the fact that we're all different. In yes. fact, Stephen Covey said, value the differences between people. You know, Ooh. so, but guess, guess what? Discrimination is okay. You should, you should make more discriminations. The bad word is stereotyping. When we put people in a, in a group and we assume they're all the same, but discrimination is good. Make more. That's a very phenomenological, ideographic, another word. Whoa. <laughs> This is a big play on words today, folks. I love it. You're a wordsmith is what you are. <laughs> no, I'm just in the ivory tower, you know? <laughs> well, it's funny. So so I was telling you earlier that this is coffee at the table with Joe, and, and you're waking up to the vibe. That's the, the nature of the interview. So uh, one thing you said to me before we went live, uh, and, and I was talking to you about the fact that I had the exterminator here today because I've been held hostage by the juice ants, those little tiny ones that if you spill juice on the floor, well, I have nothing on the floor, but I've been taken over by juice ants. So the exterminator was here. And I said to you when, when, when we were in the chat room before we went live, I says, I'm so stressed out because of these ants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you told me I'm not stressed. No, it's not stressed. It's distress. <laughs> Notice how we misuse that word. You know, without stress, you're dead. Stress means you got things to do. You got purpose. You're going places. And from a behavioristic perspective, you got things to gain, not avoid losing. But the point is that's, that's stress. The bad word is distress. What happens when you're overwhelmed? Overwhelmed. Those ants, you weren't in control, man. They overwhelmed you. Holy God. Right? And so you were distressed. That's the debilitating word. So, by the way, if you look these words up in the dictionary, you're going to see. Looking up, stress simply means I got things to do. Distress means you're overwhelmed. Wow. Think about all the people that go, oh, I'm so stressed out. Now they're going to start saying, I'm so distressed. <laughs> no, you can see. No, you're more, you're more often stressed, right? Let's face it. You're in control. You're more often stressed. And it's okay. It's like motivated. You're motivated. There's there's always another play on, on words, right? Because I read something and I thought it was interesting on the information you sent to me. And I don't know why this one stuck out. Seatbelt. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's not a <laughs> You know, that, that takes me back back in the 80s, man. Back in the 80s, only 20% people buckled up in their vehicles. And today, 80% buckle up. There's still now 20% who don't buckle up. What if we call them what they are? Life belts. <laughs> but better than a seatbelt. It's not a seatbelt. Seatbelt is a lap belt. I love it. It's a, I love it's a safety it. belt, folks. It's a safety belt. It's an occupant restraint belt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, that's a real term. Put your child in this occupant restraint. <laughs> oh, really? Honey, I'm not leaving until you put your occupant restraint belt on. <laughs> I love this. I love this. So back to the seven things, though. All right. So we went yeah. through uh, uh, the, the uh, give, give me the, the, the first one and two again. 
use more positive consequences. Positive consequences. You can tell I don't have any short-term memory. <laughs> and, and observational learning. You know, when I started at Virginia Tech a long time ago, 1969, I didn't know how to teach. Just because you get a PhD doesn't mean you can teach. <laughs> so what did I do? I got to the phone book and I looked up and they had the award-winning teachers at the university marked. So I, I called them up and I said, can I come and just sit in the back of your class and watch? The first guy was a biology teacher and he said, uh, Dr. Geller, I teach biology. Why would you want to come to my class? And I said, sir, it's not about the content. It's about your style. I want to learn what you do in the classroom so I can learn observational learning. Yeah. You know? and, and life is all about learning. Never stop learning. At my age, I'm almost 80 years old, and, and I still believe in learning. And, of course, I believe in teaching. You have incredible energy, though. You do. Are you are you into like 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 I drink alkaline. I drink the green drink. I drink chlorophyll. Like I'm into all that stuff because it, it gives me energy. But at 80 years old, are you like Jack Lalane? Like are you juicing every day? <laughs> Man, I'm I'm inspired to teach. You know, when I tell my students, I give the orientation lectures now and then when the students come to the university, and I tell them. I say, folks, and, and I, the last one was with their with their parents. When do you get to talk to students and their parents at the same time? Except <laughs> in church. And I said, I said, you know what I wish for you? I wish for you to find a profession, find a job that you never want to leave. And that's me, man. I found a position, the opportunity to teach. And by the way, it's it's teaching stuff that I've researched, that I believe in. This, it's this, what's in this book is is research, it's science, it's not common sense. Yeah. So how can you not be turned on to that? You know, like in your case, Joe, you you love what you're doing. Love you it. To share information and and to get the word out and to and to wake people up in the morning and get them going, man. Yeah. Be better than that. <laughs> it, no, it, it really is. And, and we talked about this a few weeks ago on the show. Uh, we talked about finding your pure joy, and it's it, I. I yeah. Really, I, that was a takeaway from Tony Robbins. He has a CD out, uh, Seven Days Get the Edge. And I'm into all, like you mentioned, Covey. Uh, I love all the, the self-help gurus, right, who can help yeah. you and, and get you to that next level. Well, uh, Tony Robbins talks. He has a, a whole CD out on finding your pure joy because once you do that, you'll never work another day in your life. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you have 50 years, 50 years. Man, yeah. Any any plans for retirement? <laughs> Are you going to go another thirty? Oh, I, I'm not thinking about it, but I I know I'm going to have to go one of these days. As long as I can <laughs> keep doing it, I want to keep doing it. You know. By the way, you mentioned Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey was a humanist, and that's good. But that's half of the game. The other half is B.F. Skinner and his followers' behaviorism behaviorism. Stephen Covey, by the way, for example, he didn't talk about consequences. We talked about one. What do you want them to say about you at your funeral? That was the big consequence. But he didn't talk about how every day positive consequences keep us going. And of course, that's lesson one. Lesson two is observational learning. We got to go. We got to tell you lesson three, man. Lesson yeah. three is the key. Lesson three is improve with behavioral feed forward and feedback. Practice does not make perfect. 
only with feedback can we improve. You keep, you might be practicing the same thing, but if you don't know what you're doing well and what you're not doing well, you're not going to get better. You need feedback. Right. How right. do you give, but how do you give feedback? You know, how do you give feedback? Do we have the courage to give people feedback? I mean, yeah. I mean, supportive feedback. We need, that's lesson number four, by the way, give more supportive feedback than right. corrective feedback. We're, we're studying coaches' behavior, for example. We're, we're, we're watching coaches with their athletes to determine what kind of feedback are they given. Now, there's, there's four kinds of feedback. Some feedback is based on behavior. That's mm -hmm. called behavior-based feedback. Some feedback is based on attitude, feelings. We call right. that person-based feedback. Like you say, great job. You're doing well. Right. Well, that's that's person based. You're not specifying a behavior. OK, now right. feedback could be supportive, meaning I'm supporting what you did well. We need more of that. You know, we need to do more of that. And then there's corrective feedback. And I would ask your audience, I would ask you, Joe, how do you tell somebody they need to improve? How do you give corrective feedback? That's wrong. There's no information in that. That's a turnoff. So how do you give corrective feedback? I'm kind of start with praise. You start with praise. No, well, that's that's supportive feedback. Absolutely. But how do you tell them they got to do this more safe or this? How do you? And by the way, when we watch coaches, they give this is what we found out. They give supportive feedback, but it's not behavior based. They say, great job. They very rarely specify to the athlete, what was the behavior that they did well? When they give corrective feedback, right. whoa, they specify the behavior. You got to change that behavior. Now, when you're an athlete, I'm going to listen to the coach because I want to be better. So I'm motivated. So I'm going to listen. But how about everyday life with your child, with your, with your spouse, with your friend? How do you give them feedback? For these days, we have to wear these 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 masks right here. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And how do you tell somebody who's not wearing this mask they ought to be wearing one, a COVID-19 right. face mask? I mean, again, the reason I'm setting up for this is yeah, it's humanism. You have to ask more questions. Before you tell people, do that, first ask them, could you do that better? Yeah, how do you think you did? How do you, there you go, man. How do you yeah. think you did? And is there a, is there a room? Here's a word. Is there room for improvement? Talk about words. You know, do you change behavior or do you improve behavior? You know, Whoa. Those two changes, man. <laughs> you know? that, yeah. Hold on. I want to repeat that. <laughs> do you change behavior? Yeah. Change your behavior, son. Improve your behavior. Or improve your behavior. I love this one. There's always room for improvement, regardless of how good you are. There's room for improvement. So, again, it's it's simple language. Do you got to go to class? I tell my students, do you got to go to class or do you get to go to class? Yeah. Is it, is it a requirement to get up and get going, folks, or is it an opportunity? Yeah. Did you yeah. wake up to an alarm clock this morning 
or is it an opportunity clock? It's an opportunity <laughs> clock. You better believe it. I say every every day I get up, God, thank you for another chance to get it right. Let's go. <laughs> there you go. And, and here's one, Joe. Do you count your blessings? Do you count your blessings? There's a whole field of psychology, by the way, called positive psychology. And it's the flip side. You know, psychology is simply often seen as studying those people who are discouraged, um, um, disadvantaged. But what about the opposite? What makes people happy? How do we prove, improve happiness? One simple way, gratitude. Show gratitude. Count your blessings. Retrieve, receive gratitude. Yeah, yeah. Well, gra gratitude gets you latitude, right? Oh yeah, man. Gra right. Gratitude takes you up every notch, right? As a matter of fact, we you're mentioning a few things that we've discussed on our show before, is and gratitude is one of them. Where I asked our our viewing audience to just write down five things that you're grateful for. As a matter of fact, our show last week we talked about. Uh, take the human aspect out of it because it's easy to say I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my children, but think at another level of I'm grateful for the refrigerator that I own because it is able to keep my food nice and fresh. I'm, and so, so I, I tasked everybody and said, what is the number one feature in your car? And I'm going to ask you this question. <laughs> what is the number one feature in your car you're most grateful for? Safety belt. <laughs> you mean your occupant uh, restraint, restraint belt? <laughs> restraint. I'm so pleased to have an occupant restraint in my car. <laughs> so, that's a good know, one, though. Good answer. The, you know, the older you live, you've experienced, I've experienced loss of water. I've experienced flushing the commode and it doesn't flush. I mean, I've experienced these negative consequences. So now... When it works, man, I got to, it's good. Count your yeah. blessings. I, one quick study. My student, my student this summer, we had two groups of students home. See, the university was closed to so their home. And we asked them to fill out an attitude survey every morning and every night about their feeling of competence, their feeling of motivation, their feeling of depression. One group on Wednesday wrote a gratitude letter essentially thanking somebody specifically for what they have done for them. I love it. And we compared those two groups. Yeah. First, over the course of 40 days, actually 34 days to be exact, everybody's motivation decreased. Why? I mean, they're stuck at home and so forth. But the group who wrote the gratitude letter, they had higher motivation, especially on Wednesday. That's when they were to write the letter. So it was kind of interesting and, and very informative that indeed their mood improved. By the way, their sense of competence did not. So this gratitude letter affected their motivation, affected their, their sense of self-worth, but didn't affect their sense of competence and nor should it. Yeah, it plays right into, uh, like, like I mentioned to you before, things we talked about on previous shows of writing down five things you're grateful for and put them on your bedroom mirror, put them in your bathroom, but recite yeah. those five things, drive to work and think about five things. Yeah. And and it does, it it, it takes, it, it kills depression, everything. Gratitude trumps all things. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and thank people. Part of gratitude is delivering that gratitude. You know, you can write the letter and you can talk to yourself, but it's even more powerful when you share it, when you thank somebody for what yes. they've done. Absolutely. I love it. So, so we were talking about the seven steps uh, and yes. caring for your child, right? And yes. I, I think if I'm not mistaken, we were like around number five-ish. <laughs> we, well, we, we got to number, number four was use more supportive than corrective feedback. Right. And, and we talked about the need to correct people and you correct people by asking more questions. That's right. To say that's wrong. And we talked about the word improvement versus change. Don't change your behavior. Imp let me help you improve your behavior. I love, man. If you could just, if you can just improve the way you talk to people by yeah. asking for improvement instead of change, that's huge. And, and how you talk to yourself, Joe. Yeah. How you talk to yourself, you know. There's always room for improvement. So now we get to lesson number five, and we number five. talked about lesson five. Embrace and practice empathy. empathy. You've already introduced empathy, man. It's it's about trying to see it from the other person's perspective. So how do you give corrective feedback? Well, yeah. first, ask questions so you can find out where the other person is coming from. You know, the humanists, they really focus on intentions beyond behavior. <laughs> Those what, humanists. What were your intentions? Maybe, maybe the behavior didn't come out right, but what did you intend to do? Right. Me? Right. You know, there's a saying, I don't know if it's a biblical saying or not, but um, my, my dad used to say this to me, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Oh man, that's Stephen Covey. Seek Is that a Covey to understand before being understood. Yeah. That's, yes. that's of his seven, seven, seven um, habits of highly effective people. Yes, sir. Yeah. And okay. And mm -hmm. I thought it was Jesus. Well, I think I think Covey would say that, and yeah. that was Covey. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, now number number uh, six. Number six, distinguish between management and leadership. Oh, this is a big one. We manage behavior, behaviorism, but we lead people. Leading people means inspiring people to be self motivated. Everybody can be a leader. Yeah. Managers, we get that position assigned to us. If you're a supervisor, you're a manager. If you're a teacher, you're a manager. You manage behavior. And that's right. good. If you're a parent, you manage behavior. Right. But to lead people, that's the humanistic side of this. You inspire people to be self-motivated. Now, here's the key. Probably the most important thing we'll say all morning. Three C words. Three words that begin with the letter C. And if you can increase the perception of these three C words, you will increase their self-motivation. You will inspire them to be self-motivated. This is a humanistic theory, but it's supported by much research. First C. First C is choice. Choice. When people believe they have some, not complete choice, but some choice. You know, you want your child to dress up for church or for school. But what if you had two outfits, both of them would please you, and you asked the kid, which one would you choose to wear? Right. Or how do we talk to people? Not why did you do that? Why did you choose to do yeah. that? 
So throw <laughs> in choice, man, because then I feel I have some, the word the, the academics use is autonomy. I believe some sense of autonomy. I'm more likely to be self-motivated. Next C word, competence. We mentioned this one earlier. When I believe I'm competent at doing worthwhile work, I'm more likely to be self-motivated. In fact, that's what kept me here at this university. I believe that what I'm doing is worthwhile, and I think I'm pretty good at it. So yeah. that's competence. Next word. Next word is community. Now, the researchers called it relatedness. We're talking about um, Ed DC and Richard Ryan. They're the, they're the humanistic researchers who did much of the study. It's called self-determination theory, by the way. Some of your listeners, listeners might recognize that term. I'm calling it self-motivation. Perception of choice, perception of competence, and a perception of community. You know community. We're all in this together. Yeah. The word yeah. interdependent. Yes, we're, we're raised to be dependent. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm back on the choice. Uh, sure. I'm stuck on that, and I'm going to tell you why. So I might have been a bad parent when my son was little and he said to me, but I don't like chicken. I'm not eating chicken. And I said, looks like you're going to starve, kid, because tonight it's chicken. <laughs> well, you know, that there's a very important point. There is a limitation to giving people choice. I mean, right. I, would like to, I would like to drive any speed. My car is, <laughs> I, I don't have that choice, you know? So again, right. there, there is a need for management. So when you were telling your child, please, you need it. That's what, that was management. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, he would, and he, he, would, he would sit down and eat it and go, you know, dad, this chicken's not so bad after all. Yeah, because I didn't give you another choice. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing, too, that, that came to mind, um, I've read a lot of uh, sales training books. I used to be a sales trainer uh, at a software company. And uh, one of the things that I read is management is within the walls and leadership is outside. And I, I like that analogy. Like management is like what happens, like you said, behavior. It's all, all that happens within these walls. Leadership is the vision and how, how can we take you beyond these walls, right? And I, uh, Joe, another word that we might as well throw it in here now, followership. 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 My my, the advisor in my department of psychology, Dr. Roseanne Foti, she's been studying followership. There's time and a place to follow. You can't always lead. You can't. You need to step back sometimes and let the other individual take charge. Let them lead. So yeah. knowing when to lead and when to follow is is an important distinction to make. You know, you could take ism and ship. <laughs> And put it at the end of every any word. Followership. <laughs> I never heard that word. <laughs> Followerism. Is there a followerism? <laughs> yeah, I man. love it. I yeah. love it. So, so there's a couple more things here, and and that's very insightful stuff. We're gonna talk to our viewers. We're gonna tell them how they can buy uh, this book that you wrote on caring for your child on parenting, uh, because that's a dynamite dynamite book. I can tell. Uh, I want to talk about another book that you put out, and it's just uh, coincidentally, uh, it it really plays into today's times uh, with what's going on in the world, and it's a manual on positive community policing. Yes. 
right here, man. Here it is. Here it is. Positive community, actively caring for people. Love that. So, so what is this? Is this a book that you sell to to police departments? You train police officers? Absolutely. My, my co-author is, was a police officer for 25 years, Bobby Kipper. And we are working in, in two states, several, several departments where they get the training with this book. I got to share you one thing. One feature of this process is police officers wear a blue wristband. And the blue wristband says actively caring for people. And every wristband has its own unique identification number. So a police officer sees an act of kindness, actively caring. He witnesses, he witnesses somebody doing something nice. Absolutely. Now we now we're back to gratitude again. The police officer <laughs> thanks them, right? And takes his wristband off the wrist and says, join our movement. This is actively caring for people, policing. And, and then go to the website and register this wristband. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, to share the world. So your number, and by the way, then you pass this on to somebody else. It's here it is. The process is step S T E P S. See somebody doing an act of kindness. T, thank them. Gratitude. Take your wrist. By the way, we have green wristbands for the average citizen, and we have child sizes and adult sizes. We've reduced bullying in several schools by this simple process, putting the focus on positive behavior, on yeah. actively caring behavior rather than bullying behavior. So that's, that's right. C, thank. Now, E for step, enter. Enter the number on the wristband that I gave you at the website. You go to that website now. There's two, one for police, actively yeah. caring for people policing, but ac4p.org, ac4p. You can, you can get wristbands there. Books are there. Um, we even have a theme song, an original song created and produced in <laughs> Memphis, Tennessee, man. It's, are you serious? Yeah, here to share and care. I'll send it to you, Joe. I'll send it to you. Maybe you'll play it someday in the morning. Here <laughs> to share and care. Here anyway, to share and care. But what was the P in step? Aha. Uh -huh. Thank you for asking. Pass it on. <laughs> Pass it on, man. Don't Pass it on. Yeah, look for another act of kindness. Take this off your wrist and give it to them. And they go through the whole process. All of a sudden, what are we doing? We're, we're spreading gratitude for acts of kindness. We're spreading positive gossip rather than negative gossip. We get yeah. enough of that on social media. So we're kind of getting the world of thinking about the bright side, the positive side of what people do, the silent majority. Let's face it. Most of us do more good than bad, but we're not talking about it. Let's talk about it. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, too, because when you watch a video on Facebook or social media of a police officer doing something good, it makes you feel good. Oh, it makes you feel yeah, good. Man. And there's not enough of that. We get all the we got all the negative stuff. We'll talk about um, it's gotten fun to police. I mean, come on. It's and it's it's there are some bad apples, but most but there's bad doctors, absolutely. there's bad school teachers, there's bad priests, there's bad baseball players, there's bad <laughs> in every social group in America, in the world, in the world, there's a bad apple or a and, few. And you ask a group of people how many people have 
have, have had a positive interaction with a police officer, there are many more hands go up than. Oh, yeah. And so we just need to start doing that, start talking about the positive. And, and again, we're hoping that this book gets around to different police departments and they start practicing this basic process. And of course, in this book are the principles, the seven principles we just talked about, but written in the context of police policing. And of course, we still have to talk about number seven. <laughs> All right. I jumped ahead on that book. I got excited. That's okay. <laughs> well, give it. us give us let's back up. Let's go back to parenting. I like the policing thing too. That's amazing. We what have, is what is number seven? We have one for schools too. This is the this <laughs> hey, he's got over 50 books, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then my daughter and I just wrote one for safety. Oh my god. Anyway, it's amazing. We get, and they all, every one of them includes number seven. Lesson number seven. Here it is. I can't wait. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Abraham Maslow. In it it rings a bell, but I can't tell you what it is. Well, some of your <laughs> listeners will, will say, what's at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Now, now here's the way it goes. We satisfy... It's a pyramid. We satisfy our basic needs first. We have enough food, enough sleep, enough shelter. And then we go to the next step and we satisfy safe and security. So the, 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 the principle is you got to go climb this ladder. And actually, you don't really have to. But that's it's a nice way to think about it. First, yeah. I, sat, I, I need enough money, for example, for these basic needs. By the way, what we've shown in positive psychology, more that more money does not make you happier. Enough to satisfy your basic needs, to feel safe and secure. And then where do you go? Social needs. Okay. And then self-esteem. And then I would ask your listeners, what do they think is at the top? Is it self-actualization? That's how we've taught it for years. I've taught introductory psychology for 50 years, and most of the textbooks say the top of the ladder is self-actualization. Self-actualization. Yeah, meaning I've reached my goals in life. I had a professor in graduate school, and I was asking him, sir, how will I know when I'm self-actualized? And he said, Scott, you'll know when you can sit back and you can say, I did it. I reached all my missions, all my visions in life. I made it. And then he looked at my, he looked right at me and said, Geller, I don't think you'll ever get there. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you get there? Hey, I mean, right, oh my gosh, I invent something in my head every day. Maslow passed away in 1970. Before he passed away, he wrote his last book published by his wife. It's called The Farthest Reaches of Human Nature. And he said he was wrong. The top is not about self. Think about it. Self-esteem, self-actualization. The top is self-transcendence. Going beyond yourself for somebody else. I love that. You know what we call it? Serving. Actively caring for people, man. Actively caring. Actively going beyond yourself for somebody else. That police officer takes off this wristband and he gives it to a citizen He's actively caring and he's promoting that. And wow, we've had citizens receive that. They don't want to give this one away. You know, the last letter P means pass it on. Oh, I got this <laughs> officer. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not going to pass this one on. But yeah, I mean, it's self-transcendence. 
Isn't that powerful? Now, here's one thing we have to realize. You don't have to have all of these needs satisfied before you get here. Mother Teresa didn't. Gandhi didn't. Many people help others before they have satisfied all their needs. That's right. And here's the big deal. When you help others, does it increase your self-esteem? Does it increase your self of connectedness with others? It, your, it will so take you out of depression. It will help you solve your problems. Yeah, man. Serving others is like yeah. medicine. Yeah. And one, here's a word you've heard this one, servant leadership. Yes. That's what, that's what real leadership is when you serve others. That's right. I just read a quote the other day. It says, if you're a boss, just remember this. They don't work for you. You work for them. Yes, sir. And I said, whoa, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> if more bosses can carry that attitude. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hey, this, this was phenomenal. Is there like one location where somebody can buy all of your stuff? Oh, absolutely. GellerAC4P.com. Geller AC four. The number four. The number four. P. GellerAC4P.com. Yeah. And and you'll there's there's summaries of the books. We have reviews. People have reviewed the books and, and so forth. So you can see what fits. We've just covered the seven basic principles that are in the book for police, the book for school personnel, the book for college students. We have one for college students, all written differently to fit the context. And But the bottom line is, oh, we have one for safety professionals also. So these principles- the Safety professionals that make sure you are strapping your occupant, <laughs> what did we call that thing? <laughs> the occupant restraint belt. See, you got a habit, man. We're in these verbal habits. We got to break the habit. I love it. Humanistic. I was going to say optimism. It's behaviorism, but optimism as well. Yes, sir. Dr. Scott Geller, thank you so much for joining us here on Wake Up to the Vibe. A great morning. I do appreciate your presence here today. Thank you, Joe. It was my pleasure. You got it. We're going to say goodbye to our folks here. Uh, have a great day, everybody. Pay it forward. Let your light shine. And don't forget. Make sure you practice your humanistic behaviorism. <laughs> Be positive. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody.